The episode you're about to listen to essentially is about learning of another culture, but maybe not the one you're thinking of. This is the culture of the military. So joining the military, being in the military, post active duty. And it's something that intrigued me for a long time, and it is a culture. And there's some real advantages, there's some disadvantages, there's costs, there's benefits like anything in life. And it's always piqued my curiosity of what it's like, what draws people to it, um, what do they gain from it, what are the challenges. And we definitely get into the cross-section between the military and mental health. And it's been on my mind for a, a, quite a long time, and I was looking for a good candidate that could really join me as a co-host and talk about this, and I think I found her. So this, to me, is interesting, and I think there's a lot of parallels to civilian life. This is not just for people who have affiliation with the military. So I really hope you enjoy. As always, we do this just to provide meaningful, helpful content. So if you could take just a minute and share this, go on to whatever platform you are and rate this, write a review. It really goes a long way. It really helps helps us with our exposure. So without further ado, this is Mental Filter. Welcome back, everybody, to Mental Filter, where we get to talk about interesting things with interesting people all through the lens of mental health. As you heard in the introduction, this is a episode that talks about the cross-section of being part of the military, whether active or former, and that cross-section with mental health. As you all know, mental health is everywhere. And for me, this has been an episode that's been a long time coming searching high and low for who could be a great person to talk about this. I think it's intriguing. I think it's relevant. Even if you're not in the military, there's certainly parallels of military life to civilian life, which we'll hopefully get into. So thank you for being here. And I will allow my co-host for today, Michaela, introduce yourself. Michaela, please tell everyone who you are. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. My name is Michaela. I am a very strong advocate of mental health, the military mental health care system. I'm the volunteer marketing director for Patrol Base Abate, and I'm also an active duty public affairs officer in the Navy. Okay, so thank you for being here. And how about we just start with, you just said you do two things. How about just tell us what those two things are? <laughs> yeah, so on my free time, I volunteer with a wonderful nonprofit called Patrol Base Abate. And their whole focus is finding a community for veterans or active duty service members. So we have local clubs as well as interest-based clubs. So anybody can join. There are no barriers to entry. So for example, it was founded by Major Tom Schumann, who's a Marine Corps officer, and he runs around with a gun all day. And um, he reached out to me, who's a public affairs officer in the Navy, I sit at a desk all day, write articles, do social media. And when he first reached out, I was like, what do the two of us have in common? <laughs> that is like, why is he asking me? Um, and I think that's what's so great about Patrol Base Abate is that it truly is for everybody and there's a space for everybody. So I'm really passionate about it. One of our biggest causes is helping veterans and active duty service members not only find a community, but also utilize mental health resources that are out there. Um, and just get them connected with somebody. And if they're feeling alone or feeling like they're needing help, giving them that help that they need, which That's is amazing. great. Yeah. And then on my day today, I'm a public affairs officer in the Navy, which is wonderful. And for those of you who don't know what a public affairs officer does, I break it down like a PR or communications or marketing director in, on the civilian side. So I'll write speeches for my boss, plan events, for my command, help out with any media inquiries we might get, escort VIPs. So kind of all over the place, but it's really interesting. And I kind of get to see the behind the scenes workings of the Navy and the military from like an outsider looking in, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it sounds like not, not a dull moment. Yeah, it's pretty busy some days, but I love it. Is that what you imagined? Well, we're going to get to your story in a minute. So the, the other thing you do, the, is it volunteer the other for that group? 
Yes. So what is yeah, it? I'm just curious what the words. I'm curious what the words mean. Patrol base abate. So a patrol base is, if you're thinking in the military lands, a patrol base is the safe space. It's a safe area that you would set up if you're on a recon mission. When we were still in the Middle East a lot, we had patrol bases kind of where our troops would be safe in those areas, kind of recalibrate, get ready to go back into the fight. And Abate is the name of a Marine that Major Tom Schumann, our founder, served with, who was unfortunately killed in action. And Tom saw that when he got back from a deployment with his Marines, that unfortunately he lost some of them to suicide as well as in combat. And he found that the number one thing that his Marines were suffering from was from like a lack of community. And he wanted to build a community for veterans and active duty service members. So he named Patrol Base Abate in honor of Matt Abate. Wow, that's that's beautiful. And yeah, and yeah. that's something that I, I would love to touch on because community, well, you know, let's just do it now. You know, community is almost, it's going to sound funny, but it's almost like a double-edged sword to me. So to give like a really, really unfair comparison because they're on two totally different planes. You know, I think I'm a big fan of sports and there's a tremendous amount of community and identity and camaraderie when someone's involved in any level of, you know, amateur, semi-professional, professional sports. And we see time and time and time again, of someone who gets to that really top level and then when they're done they really really struggle again not to compare what athletes do and what people in the military do but it's just like it just reminded me of that like it's when i say double-edged sword it's like okay it's awesome and it's amazing but then when you're not there anymore and then you need to create another community yeah, I feel like there's a whole aspect where you look around if once you leave the military and you're like, now what? Like with the military, you're in it every single day. Most of your friends, I know for me, most of my friends are military. My fiance is also military. I went to the Naval Academy, which is obviously military. So I'm definitely in a bubble where everyone sort of works in the same space as I do, at least in the same organization as I do. And I know for me, at least, whenever I decide to transition out, it's definitely very intimidating thinking that I'm going to be in a totally different space than I've been in for the past like eight years, which is really intimidating. And so I'm thankful for like these resources out there like PBA and just other places to go and connect with like people who have been through what I've been through. Right, right. And so I bring that up intentionally. So people listening, whether they have experience in the military or a family in the military or not, I think it's a very relatable experience. You know, someone's in college even, right? And they're there yeah. and it's like this bubble and it's amazing and they have their friends and everything's taken care of. And then they're out after that and like, um, you know, now what? Or right. someone's at a job for a very long time or in a community for a very long time or, you know, whatever it is. And it's, I think it's a very relatable struggle. You know, Absolutely. To a certain degree. So, okay. So a little more about you. What's your, you know, were you born into this? Were you, <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit about your journey into it, into where you are. Yeah. I never like put myself in that box of being the person who like my parents served. So I joined the military and looking back, that's actually the exact box that I'm in. <laughs> um, my dad went to West Point, which is the United States Army Academy. And he was in the army. And that's our number one rival at the Naval Academy. So that was definitely <laughs> interesting when I decided to go there. And growing up, though my dad no longer served by the time I was born, I still saw the connection and the camaraderie that he had with all of his classmates. So I grew up going to the Army-Navy football game. I grew up with all these people around me that my dad had gone to college with. And those are like my dad's brothers. And he still to this day talks to them. I still see them every year for at least the Army-Navy game. It's a pretty big day in my house which is awesome. Do you talk on and, that day with each other? Oh yeah, we typically go. So I'm saying, I'm saying to you, does your dad talk oh, yes. to you because you're like. Yeah, I think <laughs> he's, he says that he's not like, he's like, I don't like Navy that day, but I think he's secretly rooting 
for Navy, but don't tell any of his classmates that. Um, my mom has these really cool cowboy boots. That one's a West Point cowboy boot and one's a Navy cowboy boot. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And she wears one of each, which is pretty funny. But yeah, I just grew up seeing the camaraderie that my dad had. And I wanted a part of that. I wanted to be in a community that had that sort of connection. So then I set my eyes on the Naval Academy when I was probably a freshman in high school. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. I had gone to a couple summer camps there. And I fell in love. It was on the water. I visited West Point once. And if you've ever been to West Point up in New York State, it's freezing and it's cold and it's gray. That's when my dad took me. It was November in New York, which is freezing. And then when I went to visit the Naval Academy, it was July on the water, stunning Annapolis. I love Annapolis. And I fell in love. And that's what I wanted to do. So note to dads out there who want to try to get their daughter to go in the summer. Yes, go when it's nice and warm because I'm originally from Texas oh. and I had like never seen snow. I didn't, I had to buy, my, my family had to buy coats for this trip because we just like are in these big puffy coats and the photos. And I just remember being freezing and the wind coming off of the Hudson River. It was just too much. Did you consider like, did you consider me. did you consider any other branches? Air Force? I considered the Air Force Academy. I didn't end up applying. I just wasn't feeling it. No offense to Air Force people, if there's any mm -hmm. listening. But yeah, I just really liked the idea of being on the water. I was like, oh, I can be on a ship. That'll be cool, which is funny looking back because I've never been on a ship. Um Right. So that and, that segues into the next sort of I guess the next chapter. So you're there. And then did you have your eyes set on like what you're doing now? No, not at all. all right. <laughs> so I went to the Naval Academy and I really wanted to fly. And so my senior year, I served a selected uh, Naval flight officer, which is the backseater in jets for you Top Gun fans out there. It's Goose. And that to me just seemed way cooler than flying it was just being in the back of the plane, kind of pushing all the buttons. And so I got that. I was so excited. I checked into flight school, which is in Pensacola, Florida. Absolutely beautiful. Love Florida. And I started flight school in September, October timeframe. Uh, and I graduated that previous May. Ready for flight school. So excited for flight school. I get to flight school and I don't like it. <laughs> it was just not for me. And while at the Naval Academy, I didn't know what happened to you if you decide not to finish flight school. I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to go on a ship. So after like a lot of deliberation, it really was like, I think the hardest decision I've ever had to make. And a lot of factors went into it. I decided to drop from the flight training program. And it was the best decision I've ever made for me. And then that started the process of finding out what I did want to do in the Navy. And I stumbled upon public affairs. It was something I was really interested in. While at the Naval Academy, I had always done jobs for like, just around the school for that would have fit with public affairs. So like I did the social media, I like the event planning. And that's not all what our job is, but it's a piece of it. So then I did a couple internships while in Pensacola with the base public affairs office. And I fell in love. I applied. And thankfully, a year to the date that I graduated from the Naval Academy, I got picked up as a public affairs officer, which was awesome. Number one choice. It's really my dream job and what I would want to do if I was not in the military, which I consider myself extremely lucky because I think a lot of people in the military, their jobs don't directly translate. And mine does, which is awesome because now I know what I want to do. I mean, when, it whenever directly I to translates to civilian life. Yes. Yeah. Which, just which is, in Yeah, go which ahead. Is, which is great because we need our ship drivers. We need our pilots. We need our naval flight officers. But I like selfishly when I get to the civilian side, I'm like, woohoo, I can do PR and marketing and stuff. And you have wonderful leadership skills from just being a junior officer I think, but selfishly, I'm like pretty happy that. Well, you have to go I, through a similar process in the beginning, right? In terms of like junior the officers from the Naval and, Academy. Yeah. yeah. So the training's the same for everybody. 
until your senior year, you start to do training that correlates with what you want to do after you graduate. But you cannot get public affairs officer out of the Naval Academy. So I didn't even know what it was at that time. I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen to me. I assumed I was just going to be a surface warfare officer and go on a ship, which I would have been fine with. But now it's very cool that I got to do a job that I knew I always liked. And it was something I'd always gravitated towards. I just didn't have a name for it. And now I do. So that's awesome. Not many people get to find what they really want to do. So that, yeah. is, that certainly is a blessing. So I have, I have two follow-up questions to that. One is not loaded and one's more loaded. Okay. <laughs> uh, one is, is like, this is a question I was going to get to later is, do you think that that's like one of the, I don't know, misnomer, if that's the right word of how civilians, and I'll be very transparent, like I'm very much a civilian. I have very little personal, you know, experience. I would call myself, you know, pretty ignorant in these matters. So is that like one of the misnomers of people who aren't familiar with the military that they just assume like everyone in the military is like, you know, carrying a gun and flying a jet and on a ship or, you know, riding a tank. And there's like hundreds of thousands of positions that have nothing to do with that. Yes. <laughs> and I think most people until they join the military think that's what I thought the military was. I was like, okay, if you're in the Air Force, you fly planes. If you're in the Army, you have a gun. And if you're in the Navy, you're on a boat. Right. Which is true-ish. Um, there are those <laughs> jobs, but there are also all those jobs, with the exception of the ships, in the other branches. So like the Navy, we have like Navy SEALs. We have the Marine Corps. Neither of those are 24-7 on a ship. We have public affairs officers. There are pilots in the Air Force and the Army. So yeah, it, it's definitely funny being in it now thinking like, oh, wow, there's all these jobs that I had no idea existed. And even now I'm finding out about jobs that I didn't know existed, which is really interesting. And it's fun for me because I'm like, wow, you like you really can do it all if you look for it hard enough in the military. Right. OK, now the one that's slightly more loaded <laughs> is how do the members of the military that are doing those things, they are in combat. They are flying planes. They are on ships. They're out there. They're on the front lines. How do they perceive all these other positions? Like you said earlier, it's like, you know, I'm sitting in front of a computer most of the day. I'm writing and doing social media. How do they perceive the rest of these positions? It kind of depends. So okay. it's so funny you ask this because... Yesterday, I had someone in my office. He was like, you always get to do the coolest things. He's like, you get to do all the VIP trips and tours and assignments. And he works in IT. So he just fixes our computers all day. He's <laughs> wonderful. He helps me all the time. Trust me. He helped me today. And I'm like, that's his perception, which is like not good or bad. That's just... What he thinks, like, he thinks I'm, like, sunshine and flowers every single day. And I'm sure that goes for other communities in the military as well. I think one thing that everybody struggles with is, like, the whole grass is always greener side. I will say that I think my job is a lot co cooler than some of the other positions you can get. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And I recognize that. But yeah, I've definitely seen the people being supportive of me because I'm in such a small sector of the military. There's only about 240 of us public affairs officers in the Navy. We're the smallest community. So there's the least amount of us around. So a lot of the times people don't know what we do. But I think people will say the same thing if they're on a ship and wish they were an aviator or on a submarine and wish they were on a ship. So it's definitely interesting. I think the military has this culture of almost showing off like, okay, my life is harder than yours. And I'm going to make you feel guilty for that. I also talked about that today, funny enough with someone in my office. And yeah, I recognize that like, I don't have to stand eight hour watches on ships or like, sleep on a ship every single night and I don't have to deploy the same way other units do. But I think there is definitely 
this like almost competitive stigma between the different communities within the military of, oh, my life is harder. Your life is better. It's unfair. It's not fair, which I've seen, which can be pretty brutal. Right. Personally, mine hasn't been that bad. I can imagine imagine someone there's the being jealous of like, oh, you have it so good. And I can imagine probably on a, you know, individual basis, like, oh, like, what are you doing already? I'm sitting out here putting my life at risk and like, well, what are you doing? I'm not accusing anyone of doing it, but I can imagine that's possible. Yeah, hundred percent. That's something that I sort of find myself struggling with too. Cause for example, my fiance deployed last year and I haven't deployed. I probably won't deploy just how my job is. And it's almost as if I feel guilty because we can get out in a year. I don't know what we're going to do, but if we get out in a year, I find myself comparing myself to him and he's wonderful and incredibly supportive and like would call me crazy for saying this, but I'm like, wow, he deployed and did all this and got to see all over. Like he's seen the whole world go floating around, which is wonderful. And I've been like sitting at my desk the whole time. I've gone to do some really awesome opportunities and plan some like pretty like national level events, which has been awesome. But I think when you think of the military, you think of, oh, deployment, going to war and everything and protecting the people. And so I find myself struggling with that because I'm like, I didn't do that. I probably won't do that. And I'm surrounded by friends who have done that. It's almost like the reverse comparison that you were talking about. Not that, oh, you know, you have it better. It's like comparison, like, oh, almost like a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, you know, like, what have I done? You know, they're doing, they're having so much more of an impact. And again, to connect it to people, you know, civilians who are listening, I can tell you how many hundreds of people that have sat right here and we're talking somewhere along those lines of comparison. Well, what I do doesn't really matter because someone else is doing something that's more important and so you know and that whole that guilt that i'm not doing enough is i think very relatable yeah definitely Uh, so okay i have one more question about the before you got into it and then we'll sort of shift a little bit perhaps an unfair question i remember once and i I can't quote it exactly because it was a long time ago i remember once being in a training and someone quoted research about like different professions sort of attracting different types of people. And I think, for example, like, again, not to paint like, you know, such a broad brushstroke, but I think, for example, like in Hollywood tends to have more people who had like ADHD or, and I think the military also. So my question is, is there a type? (laughs) And again, I know it's just your own experience and it does it attract certain I wanna, you know I don't want to pathologize people really god forbid like is there a type does it attract certain personalities certain types of people I'm just really curious to hear your opinion on that yeah I think it's interesting because there's always going to be stereotypes about certain communities so like the marines have their stereotype whether it's good or bad like the surface warfare officers have those those on submarines have their own stereotypes which like stereotypes are always going to be true to an extent and they're always going to be wrong to an extent. But I did find when I was at the Naval Academy, it's a lot of A-type personalities. Like most of the students there, at least from my experience, were A-type personalities. And it makes sense because the Naval Academy tries to get the perfect all-around student or perfect all-around future officer. So you might have So if you're coming from your high school, you might be the prom queen and the number one athlete and the valedictorian, but we're surrounded by everybody else. Most people I went to the Naval Academy with were prom king or queen, salutatorian, valedictorian, like number one athlete, state champion, like crazy. And I was like, this is not, I was not valedictorian at all for the record, but um, at all, not even like at all. No, I was not. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was just very interesting. All the personality types, and we have to take these leadership courses while at the Naval Academy, and you would take personality tests in some of these courses, and so many people would be matching in the personality tests, and I think that's just 
like on paper, how they're trying to get everybody to be like this one perfect, like the perfect well-rounded student, which is not necessarily the best way or whatever, but yeah, it was definitely very interesting to go in those, like see all the similar personalities. And then now that I'm out at the fleet and I'm with all sorts of personalities and backgrounds and ages and genders and everything that I think the personality test answers would be a little more diverse. Right. Yeah. That, that is interesting. So now at which point and how did you get like more into, you know, mental health related matters and interests and, you know, advocacy and stuff like that? Yeah. So at the Naval Academy, I was always an advocate for mental health. I think looking back, I struggled with some level of anxiety and I was like, okay, so there was free resources at the Naval Academy. They have the Midshipman Development Center and they offer free therapy, which is wonderful. And I would do that like once a week, once every other week, just to kind of get me like, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. My mom's a therapist. So I'm very much like, I need to talk out my feelings to just somebody. So I would do that. I was very open about the fact I went to the MDC And then when I graduated, I checked into flight school and I kind of knew like pretty early on that I was unhappy, that I just wasn't loving flight school. I was having an identity crisis because what I thought I wanted isn't what I wanted. And that gave me a lot of anxiety. Everybody around me loved flight school. I didn't love flight school. And unfortunately, I was also there when we had a terrorist attack on December 6th, which killed a classmate of mine, as well as two other students that were down in Pensacola. And that just really rocked me as well as like the rest of the community and classmates that were there. And I just remember right after that happened, I was thinking like, if I die tomorrow for whatever reason, I am not going to be happy with where I am in my life. I'm not in this job that I like. I wasn't really in like the healthiest relationships. I don't think I was really taking care of myself. And I was like, that something has got to shift. So really that was my wake up call that I just wanted from that point to pursue a life that I was happy and excited about as cheesy as it sounds. And so probably about two months after the shooting, that's when I finally got the courage to leave flight school. And yeah, it was crazy decision. I could probably count on one hand, how many people were like in my corner for that decision. And it was just a very isolating experience of like really just changing everything. Like the whole trajectory of my life, really, I thought I was going to be flying and then I wasn't. And then I didn't know what I was going to do. And that just all really hit me from a mental health standpoint. And I was like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay with where I'm at in my life and I want to change it. So I decided to switch into public affairs, which thank goodness I got. And I was like, oh, all my problems are fixed because I changed my job, (laughs) which if you've ever struggled with any mental health, you know, that's not the case. That was my Band-Aid. Right. Um, so I picked up public affairs. A couple months later, I was in my dream job. I, like, had a great, healthy, my then-boyfriend, now-fiance, like, I was dating him, healthy friendships. I was working out. I was like, what's going on? And my mental health was just declining at a rapid, rapid rate. And that was when I was like, oh, I need help. I need, like, serious help. And that sort of started my mental health deep dive with the military of getting help. And we can get into that as well. But after like finding all my resources in the military and getting the help I needed, it probably took me two years, two and a half years after I graduated from the Naval Academy to like level myself out and figure out what was going on in my brain and feel like, okay, I'm in a good place. And I had a really hard time sometimes with the military healthcare system, unfortunately. And I'm privileged in the fact that I had a supportive chain of command. So like my boss and everything, 
and I'm an officer and I still had a really hard time getting help. And ever since then, I was like, I am going to be vocal about my struggles in the hope that I can help one person because it was a nightmare trying to get help, honestly. And I don't want anybody to have to go through that. And some days I'm like, I don't know how I made it. Like, I do not know how I pushed through and just kept going some days. And I'm so glad it all worked out. I'm so glad I kept pushing back on any barriers I had because now I'm like truly in a great place, which is awesome. But I don't want anybody else to feel that way. So that's. Wow. Yeah. So first of all, kudos to you. Props to you. Thank you. I wish I could say that more people, you know, took better care of themselves and also like making that decision. I can't even imagine that's, you know, sort of swimming upstream. That's really, really difficult. It's interesting. You said about like, if I die tomorrow, cause sometimes I do an exercise with, with clients. It's, I mean, I didn't make it up. It comes, it comes out of something, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. We'll do an exercise where, you know, you write your own epitaph, you know, and mm-hmm. you're like, what's going to go on your gravestone today. Like if you were to die today, what would be on it? And then you look at them like, okay, is this what you want on it? Right. So are you living the life that you want to live? And then sometimes it's like, whoa, no, I don't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it could be a real eye opener. Um, and it's intimidating. <laughs> like it, I had a lot of changes I needed to make. And looking back, I'm like, whew, so glad I made those because now I feel great, but yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you were able to get it because again, maybe this is an unfair, you know, assumption, but I have worked like individually with people who are in the military. And so there's like the practical access and then there's the, I don't know what the word to use. I worked with someone who literally was so guarded as far as like secrecy of like even coming to me and wants to pay in cash and like was terrified and it wasn't like he you know this person was dealing with something like so like he was struggling but it was there was this like embedded fear of like people finding out i never found out like which what he who he worked for and what he worked for and i'm wondering like you know and i'm so glad to hear that you got that access and you got the support and maybe it's like, you know, it's shifted over time as far as like, you know, what's the attitude towards mental health? So they're saying like, yeah, sure. We, of course, of course we support mental health. And then when it comes down to it and someone says, oh, you know what? I really need help. I'm really struggling. And then, you know, a month later, they're not getting the opportunities that they thought they were able to get, you know? So it's like, what's the implicit message that, yeah, if you're struggling, you know, you're not going to be able to move ahead, or maybe it's, I don't know if it's from superiors or it's from, you know, peers. And like you said, if you're surrounded by type A personalities, everyone wants to succeed. Everyone wants to look good. Everyone wants to be the best. I I can imagine it's got to be hard to acknowledge, hey, I'm struggling. So again, so there's like the practical access are the resources there. And then what's the impact of trying to tap into those resources and they might be there but like okay if i go you know go get those resources i feel like i'm going to get electrocuted so i'm not going to go ahead and and right go ahead and get those resources can you just talk a little bit about that yeah i think the stigma in the military at least around mental health is getting better that's been my like view of it and just my based off of my experiences personally i did not get backlash from my leadership from getting help. I found funny enough that I got backlash from some of the people in my inner circle, like not even peers, like friends, not my friends anymore, but, mm-hmm. um, that, you get, you and get then, to learn, you get to learn who your real friends are. Exactly. Exactly. And also just from the healthcare system. So, um, when I was trying to get my, healthcare for my mental health, I was originally supposed to go on a deployment. And I knew that I was not going to be able to deploy in the mental state that I was in. I just knew I 
went to my boss's office and I told her that I was like, I don't see this ending well for me if I go out there. And I wanted to deploy. I wanted to do my part. I wanted to have that experience, to travel. Uh, And I remember one of the questions they ask you doing all your intake paperwork, they ask you, have you been on past deployments, your future deployments? And I had one doctor look at me and my now fiance was also deployed at the time. So he wasn't there and they kind of asked about all my stressors at work. And I was like, yeah, my boyfriend's not here. He's deployed and I'm about to deploy. And the doctor looked at me and he was like, missing your boyfriend isn't a reason to get out of deployment. And I was like, yes, I miss my boyfriend very much, but that is not why I am as depressed and anxious as I am. I'm sure that's not helping, but that's not the core reason. And so I had a lot of doctors turn me away because they assumed I was just trying to get out of a deployment. And yes, I'm sure there's people out there that will get out of a deployment for whatever reason. But like my feelings were very real and it's a bummer that they were not taken seriously for a while. I didn't end up deploying because they finally realized I was serious and they didn't deploy me. Thank goodness. But they didn't deploy me until like two weeks out from when I was supposed to leave. So then last minute I had to get a stand in and I still feel awful about that because I was trying to be proactive and went four months ahead of the deployment to try to, if I was going to take medicine, like you have to be stable on your medication before you can deploy. But yeah, my, my backlash wasn't from my leadership. My leadership was incredibly supportive and they know that. And I've told them that a million times and I've since switched jobs and I have a new boss and he's also incredibly supportive, but it's interesting to see friends and peers that I know who have attempted to get mental health care. And it has been brushed off as trying to get out of work, trying to get out of a meeting, trying to get out of a deployment. And it's frustrating to watch because there's nothing that I personally can do. Like I can't storm down to the doctor's office and ask for help. It's hard enough. It's hard enough to have to like struggle with say depression or anxiety or something else. So on top of that, then you have to convince people that it's real. And I've done this past year, I did a, a new collaboration and I partnered up with someone and we've been to a number of high schools and middle schools in different parts of the country talking about mental health. And that's great. It's yeah, it's really cool. It's great, great experience so far. And like one of the questions that, you know, we actually, we take a lot of questions from them. Like what, what do they want to talk about? We're not just talking to them like frontally. And, but one of the questions that, that we discussed was like, you know, what's the difference between, you know, physical health and mental health. And, you know, you, the most obvious one is like, you don't see it. You know, if you see someone mm-hmm. with a broken leg, you know, it's very obvious. See someone, someone right. disabled or some impairment, like you see it. And so it's easy to invalidate it and to dismiss it. And like, so on top of feeling depressed, now I have to convince you that I am depressed. Although you're probably right that there are people who ruin it for other people and they're dishonest. And then, so that's, yeah, that's a little disheartening. <laughs> to hear. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think when I think of a doctor, I'm like, that's somebody who's going to help you. That is somebody whose job is to help you and make you feel better on very simple terms. And that was not initially my experience with the mental health care. And that is not a lot of people's experiences. And we have an incredibly high suicide rate and it's horrible. And I know that there's changes moving forward and we're trying and People are more open about mental health and it's wonderful. It's so weird because I feel like we have so much, like such a long way to go, but I feel like it's gotten so much better from even the past like three years. Right. Maybe you won't feel comfortable answering this question and we don't know who's listening to our episode here. I don't mean this in a negative way. You know, for certain organizations and, you know, the military is an organization, there could be a person who's put in a position to help people but they also have to answer to the purpose and the mission and the agenda of whoever is on top of them. So the example that I can relate to and I can speak to is like earlier in my career, I was placed in different schools. And one of the things that helped was that, you know, speaking to students in the schools, like I do not work for the school. 
So I don't have to answer them. I don't have to answer to them. I don't have to listen to what they tell me. And that was very empowering and also very helpful because they knew then like there was no agenda. Like, you know, they can say whatever they want. I have to imagine like any big organization or any organization at all, there's a bottom line agenda. Like they want a certain, you know, the powers that be, they want a certain outcome. They want a certain product. They want a certain efficiency. So whether it's the military, whether you own a sports franchise or whether you're running a hospital, I don't know, whatever it is. And I'm not accusing it, but even a doctor, like in, to some degree, like they get it from the top and down too. of like, we got, we have a bottom line here and you have to make sure that, you know, people are ready or there's this many numbers that are deploying or whatever. I don't know the specifics. I don't know if you're like, have any awareness of that. And maybe you don't even want to say that out loud, but if there's anything you're willing to say on that, I'll be curious to hear. Yeah, I think we don't even want to call it like an agenda, but I think that the job of the military in general is to be ready to protect the American people, whether that's deploying or whatever it is. But like our job is to always be ready for whatever we need to be ready for. For example, deployment and like our jobs ahead of deployment. I always told my sailors this when we were getting ready to deploy. I was like, do what you need to do to be ready. So. I don't know if that's where some of the pushback came from when I was like seeking help, but I think just in my opinion, like one of our overall goals is to always be ready for what may happen. Um, Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really, really amazing. And I've heard this from other people as well, that because they struggle in certain areas that really gave them a real purpose of what they're gonna do in life because of it, which is really what you're doing which is, yeah. is, which is amazing. Now you mentioned, you mentioned suicide, which is very real. Anecdotally, is there, are you aware of that there's certain like junctures of time in a person's military career that maybe it's, it's more prevalent. So, you know, you're in the Academy, you graduate, well, either you're deployed or not, or is it when you transition to, you know, civilian life? Like, are you aware of anything like that? I don't know any specific numbers off the top of my head, but I I think it comes down to just what we talked about at the beginning of our conversation is that feeling of loneliness and that feeling of lack of support, whether that's happening while you're in, right when you get out and you don't have that community anymore, while you're on deployment and you're away from your loved ones, you have a bad schedule, like it is. I just think it's, I think it just comes down to like things snowball. And unfortunately, that's some people's answer and it's horrible. And I would like love for it to never happen again for anybody. And it breaks my heart that people get that low in their life, especially when there are resources out there. Yeah, it's very real. It's hard to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. I mean, it's like the more we talk about it. I mean, people have to hear, people just have to hear. And you you touch on something I think that's really important and some people don't necessarily, you know, appreciate it. Like it's a snowball. For a lot of people, it's a buildup, a buildup, a buildup, buildup. It's not necessarily this like one big, so egregious, for some people it is, mm-hmm. but it, it's not always the case. It's like a pressure cooker and there's just like, this is added and this is added and this is, and a lot of those things, on their own aren't like you know aren't that overwhelming they're not the end of the world but when you have these like stressors and stressors and stressors and they're just not dealt with and you like hold it in and you hold it in and you hold it in and hold it in and then when it reaches its boiling point it's like they they'll see like that's the only option when and it's so like sad and tragic and unfortunate and infuriating that at some point along that journey like if something was done to help address it, then maybe the pressure cooker wouldn't have gotten to the point of explosion. Yeah. And it kind of comes down to like, just checking on your people. Like it's so simple, just taking a couple extra seconds in a conversation to ask someone how they're doing. You talked about a couple of minutes ago, how like the mental versus physical illness of like, you can't see the mental illness. 
like when I was in my darkest, like the lowest point mentally, like physically, I was doing great. I was working out two or three times a day, eating super healthy. I was very peppy at work. And just everybody was like, you? Like that's happening to you? I was like, yeah. And once I was open about it at work, it just opened the door for people to come to me to talk about it. And I understand that some people who talk about their mental health don't want to be that person for people to come to. I love being that person because I wish I had that person. So I will always talk to anybody about their issues, what's going on, what's stressing them out, because if that can help make them feel better just a little bit, it's worth it for me because that would have like done wonders for me. So do you have like free reign as part of your job to be like, you can, you can do as much advocacy and talk about mental, like they're very um, plugged in, you know, social media and writing and all this stuff. Like, do you have carte blanche, you know, to <laughs> talk about as long, mental health as, as much as you want? As long as we're not being political or hateful, you're good to go. Our upper leadership um like high, high up, highest level of leadership right now have been advocating for mental health, which I think is wonderful because I'm not really sure if that's been done before. It's kind of the first time it's been done, at least. Like how recently are we talking? Like the past couple of weeks, oh. they're trying to change. Our upper leadership is trying to change how you could get access to military mental health care. So for example, and I'm not sure if this has actually happened yet or not. I need to look into it. Breaking but when. Yeah. Yeah. Heard it here first. But when I wanted to go see a therapist or like a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I needed to first make an appointment with just a general doctor to get a referral to go see said mental health specialist. And especially with COVID, it's really hard to get an appointment to a doctor. And I think that's across the board, military and civilians. So it typically takes about three weeks to get an appointment with a doctor. And then you have to get a referral, which can take two to four days to get in your system. This is at least my experience. And then another month to finally get in to go see your mental health professional. So if you're doing the math with me, it took me, by the time I was actually given a referral, it probably took me three to four months before from the very first doctor I went to trying to get health, health care, mental health care help until actually seeing a psychologist slash psychiatrist, probably about four months, okay. four to five so months. I'm going to get on a soapbox for a second. Okay. Because okay? uh, this is not just with, it's not just with the military, but that, that's yeah so unhelpful for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I can say this like from just real experience. So, so a, a big chunk of people who struggle with mental health and so many people do and they don't share and there's mental uh, I I should really back up there's a difference between mental health and mental illness right everyone's got mental health and it's just like a spectrum and how much we're struggling when we're struggling so on and so forth so many people if they're struggling have a hard time admitting it to themselves and then sharing with others it's like they're exposing themselves it's a vulnerability So to even just share with someone. So, and say I'm struggling and I finally, it either got so bad or I got inspired to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to someone. I find, and even people who call us, right? People, let's say, who call our practice, like there is this like window of opportunity that sometimes people even call. And then if it takes too long to get back to them, like that inspiration has passed (laughs) to like, okay, no, whatever, I'm fine. Like, you know, I don't want to talk about it. So you're talking about people who, if they're struggling to be able to share and there's this small window of opportunity to share, and then they got to share with multiple people. So now I got to talk to my general practitioner and then I got to wait and go to someone else. Like people are, um, they're not at full strength. And so you want to make more hurdles to get through. It's like, it's just creating it. There's going to be an attrition rate of, people who aren't going to push through all those steps to get it. So like, okay, on paper, we can say, I'm not picking on the military. This is in other systems as well. On paper, we can say, you know, oh, we offer this. Yeah, but if you take a little closer, like what's the access? How can, practically speaking, 
Someone wants to ask, they have to go through this. Oh, then you, you know, it's like, remember if like I have to get something in college. Okay. You go to this office. No, 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 that's not our door. Go to that office. Oh no, 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 no. That's a, that office. You know, forget this. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not doing this. Right. Like, you, you have to be like, really just like see it through the people's eyes and like, practically speaking, what does the access look like? Okay. I will now step off my <laughs> soapbox. It's also people having to take time off of work, both civilian and military to go to these various appointments and everything. So they're trying to change it right now to where you don't need to go to your general practitioner first to get a referral. You can just go directly to a mental health practitioner, which is wonderful. And hopefully that so you really know, helps out. I wasn't thinking about this before we started this, but if you happen to be in a meeting with some high ranking person who has influence over these things, I have an idea that just popped in my head. <laughs> Not that it's ever going to happen, but I will share anyhow. Because I remember being in these school placements and sure, there's stigma there too, right? And these kids were smart. They knew that if I was like meeting with someone, like why they were meeting with me. So you know what I did? I said, you know what? Every year I'm starting, I am meeting with every single person. I was a middle school, so it was middle school, every single sixth grader. Guess what? I'm meeting with every one of you even if it's for like five, 10 minutes and we're just gonna, you know, shoot the breeze and talk about whatever. That way it's like, okay, everyone's getting it. Now this wasn't a thing anymore. It just wasn't a thing. Like, because everyone did it. It would be super costly, but super awesome. <laughs> if I'm sure they have to do medicals regularly and they're, they have to make sure that they're not injured and they're, you know, physically and they're checking their, I'm sure they're being checked on their, how they're handling their weapon and their efficiency in, in a hundred other different things. So it would be super cool to me. And I am completely subjective on this, but it would be super cool if this was just like part of what they did. Everybody met with some mental health professional regularly maybe not the person who's really struggling is meeting it more often than the person who's okay and it's just like you know a check-in that way it's sort of like it releases all this like extra i don't know obstacles and work and stigma because this is just like part of the fabric of what we do but who am i no. i love where your head's at <laughs> um okay so to flip it to the other side of the coin here because i don't want to like give the military such a bad rap <laughs> we're not here throwing them all under the bus you know i again like i said i'm ignorant of this so part of my unfair influence is like you know watching like full metal jacket you know which oh, i no. cannot <laughs> cannot imagine is an accurate depiction of what military life is like i get that so you have to imagine there's a lot of things in military life from day one and all throughout that actually probably have like both advantages and disadvantages, like, you know, the discipline and the camaraderie and the routine. And some of those things can lend themselves to an unhealthy, let's say perfection, right? I treat a lot of anxiety and, and OCD and people who are perfectionistic and it's helpful up until a point and then it becomes really unhelpful. Routine is helpful up until a point until it becomes unhelpful. But right now I'm really curious to see like a lot of the, the real benefits of like the military life, mental health related or otherwise, it's sort of that lends itself to being a healthier, happier person. I don't want to just focus on, you know, on the negative things. Yeah, I, I mean, the military has provided me with so much that nobody else my age who on the civilian side has done, which is wonderful. I got to go to college for free, which was Great, because if you struggle with student debt, I have heard that that just haunts you forever. And my student debt was just serving at least five years in the military, which I will take. I've traveled all over the place. I've got to meet and learn so much about, like with my job specifically, just the inner workings and plan these awesome events. Though sometimes our healthcare system has its struggles, it's still free and it's still covered. So for example, I was in a car accident a year and a half ago and I had to get like MRIs done on my brain just to make sure everything was okay because I had a concussion and I went to a bunch of specialists and I, everything was fine thank goodness but like that that was all paid for and covered there are a lot of 
wonderful education opportunities that I try to get everybody who is eligible to take advantage of. So even if you're enlisted and didn't go to college, there's still resources out there for you to continue your education, which is wonderful. You can go to grad school, you can become a doctor. If you like traveling, which is the big one for a lot of people, you do have the ability to be stationed all over the world. And when it comes down to it, while you're in the military, like you're surrounded with so many people who are going through the same experience as you. And it's awesome. And even if you get out, there are still people out there that you can connect with. But the biggest one for me, or the biggest two have really been like the wonderful education I got. And then just the community around me. Once I found my perfect little group, like they're there for me and we're sticking through it. And we all have this shared experience of the military. And I'm still very close with my high school friends that all are civilians and like very close with them, but they, I, they don't necessarily understand the inner workings of what I do and vice versa. So it's I, nice yeah, having I was going to ask you that. Is it, harder, is it harder to relate to civilians being like, this is like your life <laughs> and has been for, you know, a long time. Yeah. Some things are just like, so weird to me. Like, for example, like my civilian friends aren't standing duty or aren't standing watch. My civilian friends like never have to sleep at their office. Mm-hmm. They get to wear whatever they want every single day, which is selfishly. I kind of like that. Cause I don't have to pick out a new outfit every single day. <laughs> I know what I'm going to wear. And it's just very funny. Cause sometimes my friends, they like, like my friends watch Cadet Kelly. If, I don't know if you've ever seen that Disney Channel movie. It's wonderful. It's about this girl who goes to military school and they're like, that's what you do? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. And it's just very interesting because my friends are like, oh, you can't do this, but you can do this. And there's a bunch, of, there's just more rules around military personnel. And I mean, really, really, if you think about it, it's like uh, trying to understand the different culture. It's like the same way yeah. if I was friends with someone from somewhere in Asia and like it's a different culture and trying to yeah. understand another another culture. Were there any particular things as far as like the lifestyle that you found really benefited you? So you talked about the camaraderie and like, you know, the brotherhood and sisterhood and, you know, going through the same experience and like the tangible benefits that you got. Was there anything for you particularly about like the lifestyle that maybe it's more in hindsight that like really benefited you. I know some people, uh, you know, getting forced to be very organized and routine was like, that really helped them a lot or, you know, learning respect. I don't know. Was there anything about the lifestyle that benefited you? Yeah, I think routine is good for me. I'm type A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like the routine. I like kind of knowing what my day to day is going to look like. I keep a planner with me, like a hard, it's right here. My friends call it my emotional support planner. Like <laughs> I still write everything down. Um, and also just like how to interact with others who are, who like you're leading and then how to interact with your leaders. So just the, like the different ranks and everything has been very interesting I imagine whenever I get out, it's going to be sort of hard for me to be like, what's your equivalent in the military? Which is like, I would never actually ask, but like trying to wrap my head around. Yeah. It's just very interesting. And then just working with so many different types of people, I've really enjoyed and learned a lot and just different types of personalities. Like you're out of your bubble from high school or college. And it really is a huge melting pot of people. That is really nice because it it forces, like, you don't have a choice. Like, if you're not going to learn how to get along with other people, like like you said, you're all having the same experience. And so it forces everyone to try to understand each other and try to work together, which is, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. So, yeah, we're almost out of time here. Um, I'll ask you a nice cliche question here, but I think it's, I think it's relevant is what kind of perspective or advice would you give someone who's enlisting now that, you know, because you gained your experience, but what are some of the things you would tell them? I would tell somebody to try to find something that you enjoy 
Find a good core group of people that will be in your corner, whether that's your friends, whether that's leadership, whether that's a mentor. And that sometimes at the end of the day, you are your best advocate. And sometimes you might be your only advocate, but to keep pushing through because it is worth like fighting for what you need so that you're better and that you perform better. And then that makes the collective better if everyone's working at their best. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you can only be there for others or for something bigger if you can take care of yourself. And no one's yeah. going to take care of yourself as much as you're going to take care of yourself. You have to believe that. So that's... Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Was there anything else that you wanted that, that we didn't get to? Anything else you wanted to to add or comment on? I think you got it all and more. <laughs> so if anyone wants to learn more about this topic, more about what you do, how they can, you know, potentially help, where can we send them? Yeah. So you can send them to my Instagram. You're more than welcome to shoot me a DM with any questions you may have. So my Instagram is just my first name, Michaela dot white and then the number three and then if you're interested in learning more about patrol base abate we're also on instagram and online at pbabate.org or just pbabate on instagram fantastic all right thank you so much this is great thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it we could talk all night <laughs> my pleasure <laughs>